Open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. While you're turning there, I will just share a couple of more details uh, about our ministry in Peru. Um, Peru is in need of a lot of prayer. We've gone through five different presidents in the last three years uh, politically, and the lady who's president right now, the Congress was trying to impeach her. Uh, I haven't checked the news lately to see if that's happened, uh, but it's just a mess politically. And since December of last year, there have been riots in the southern half of the country. Uh, Peru is a large country. Uh, it's about eight and three quarters times the size of Illinois. I don't know how that would compare to Missouri, but it's probably about nine times the size of Missouri. It's uh, twice the size of Texas. And then... And in, in arms over the situation with the presidents and uh, there were over 30 people killed including six police officers that were or I'm sorry six soldiers that were killed by drowning in a river as they ran from rioters and another police officer that was burned in his vehicle and uh, it was just a mess and then uh, Lima is a very special place uh, Climate-wise, it's a city of 11 million people built on a desert in which it very seldom rains. There's kind of a, a weird cloudy mist that kind of, and it's very humid and usually fairly cool to cold in Lima. And uh, about a month ago, they had a cyclone come through and it dumped tons and tons of rain on the capital, caused rivers to come out of their banks and people had to be evacuated. It was just chaos in, in the capital for a while. Uh, so on several fronts, Peru needs a lot of prayer. Obviously, spiritually, they need a lot of prayer. Uh, our greatest prayer request is for God to call, especially young men, but also young ladies that would become wives of those young men to into the ministry to be trained in the Bible college there in San Ramon. Um, during COVID, we had about 20 or so uh, students per class online, but after COVID finally was up, and if you want to know more about COVID, I can tell you later, it's a long story. And Peru shut down harder than any other country in Latin America and wound up being the number one country in the world in deaths per capita. And uh, it was... I didn't leave our house for over two months when COVID started, and uh, not because I was scared, because we were not allowed to. Uh, there were military and police on the streets. Uh, we didn't get our, our mask mandate lifted until July of last year. So we went two full years with mask mandates and distancing and all that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, there, there's just a lot of needs, but on the bright side, uh, God worked in spite of all that's been going on, and God has uh, raised up a uh, is raising up a group of people there that uh, love the Lord. Uh, today we got a phone call as we were driving down from from Dunlap. Uh, the the darker gentleman that spoke second gave his testimony, Brother Rolly. He called us to let us know his son Santiago got saved today, uh, and that was a big blessing for us and an answer to prayer and. Uh, that 
that was exciting for him too. And so we're, we're praising the Lord for that. And uh, Peru just needs your prayers. We need your prayers. Lord willing, we'll be returning to Peru the first or second week of June. Uh, we have uh, a couple of more churches that we'll be visiting uh, here uh, with our vehicle in the uh, one in Virginia. And, uh, well, I guess just one more in the vehicle, one in Virginia. We'll be flying to California for, to visit two churches that support us there. And then coming back to Tennessee, our, our oldest daughter, Christina, is expecting her first baby on the 19th of May. And we're, we decided to stick around and spoil the baby a little bit, even though she may not realize who's doing it. But uh, then we'll be heading back to Peru, Lord willing, the first or second week of June, depending on her uh, giving birth and that type of thing. And if you have any other questions, please feel free to ask us during the ice cream fun we're going to have later. That's always a blessing, those things. So uh, we're looking forward to that. John chapter, did I tell you Luke? It was Luke. I don't know why I said John, but anyway, Luke chapter 1. I want to share with you tonight uh, four points, four parallels that have to do with the scriptures we're going to be reading in just a minute. In this passage of scripture, it's a very familiar story of Zacharias. He's a priest in serving in the temple in Jerusalem, and uh, he and his wife Elizabeth haven't had the opportunity to have children. And they're up in age. She's past childbearing years. And while he's serving in the temple, the angel Gabriel appears to him and tells him that he and Elizabeth are going to have a child. And they are to name that child John. Well, it's obvious from the scriptures that, John, uh, that Zacharias doesn't really believe the angel because from that moment on he's speechless. And not figuratively, but literally he cannot speak anymore. Uh, he becomes a mute, and then he goes back after his time of service in the temple. He goes back home, and sure enough, he and Elizabeth conceive. After nine months, she gives birth to a baby boy, and he still is unable to talk. And so he, he calls for a tablet. We're not sure if it was an iPad or an Android, but <laughs> he calls for a tablet, and he writes on that tablet, and it's interesting what he writes because he doesn't say, I like the name John. Or, uh, you know, uh, why don't we name him John? He says, his name is John. And when he says that, the Holy Spirit allows him to speak again. And he begins to prophesy regarding his newly born son. And I'd like to begin reading verse 76. Luke chapter 1, verse 76. It says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zacharias is prophesying this about his newborn son. He's just a baby boy. And when he grows up, we're going to know him not just as John, but as John the Baptist, who is also known as the forerunner for Christ. He is there to go before the Lord to prepare uh, his time of ministering on this earth and to announce the coming of the Messiah. 
and what he's prophesying about his son here, we're going to look at some points that I think are parallel points for us today. Because you and I, if you're a born-again Christian, you and I also are forerunners for Christ in the lives of other people. We go ahead in the lives of these people to introduce them to the Messiah, to the Savior. And so that's what we want to do tonight. We're going to have a word of prayer and then we'll get into the message. And I promise you the ice cream won't melt. Brother Brian said it's in the freezer. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for your blessings in our lives. Thank you for the opportunity to be here at Mount Zion. I pray, Lord, that you would bless this church, that you would bless our pastor and his family and the ministries that go on here. I pray, Lord, that tonight you would speak through me the words that you would have to be smoke, spoken. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be sensitive to your direction and that, Lord, we'd be able to share these points in such a way that your Holy Spirit can apply them to our hearts tonight. We commit this time to you and we thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I'd like for us to look at is found in the first verse we read, verse 76. It says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. The first thing I see here is a preparation. And I want you to, to take note of what it says. It says he's to go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. John is not to go before the people to prepare the way of the Lord. He's to go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. That speaks to me of intercession, of praying, of taking our concerns before the Lord, especially in regards to the ministry that he's called us to do. And as we think of intercession, we see many examples in the Word of God about intercession. Jesus interceded for his disciples in John 17. Uh, we see Aaron interceding on behalf of the nation of Israel in the rebellion of Korah. We also find that Moses interceded on behalf of the nation of Israel, ironically, when Aaron led them to worship the golden calf. And there's many other instances of interceding in the word of God. Now, there's a very interesting verse I'd like for you to turn to. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Hold your place here in Luke. And turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22. The Bible says in Ezekiel 22 and verse 30, the Bible says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. He's looking for someone to intercede on behalf of the land so that he doesn't destroy it, but he doesn't find anyone. Now, if we make a spiritual application to this, I wonder how many times the Lord is looking for someone to intercede on behalf of people around about us, but he's not finding anybody. He's not finding anybody. Now, now we know the parable of the sower. The sower goes forth, some of the seed falls by the wayside, some among uh, th uh, stones, among thorny ground, and then also in good fertile soil. And if you've ever, ever done any gardening or farming or, or even thought about it, because that's about all I can do, I'm not a good farmer. But if you think about it, there's a lot of preparation that goes into having a good crop. 
You have to till the ground. You have to check the pH in the soil. You have to put fertilizer in. You have to get the rocks out. You have to do a lot of different things to plan so that you can plant the seed in hope of having a good crop. There's a lot of preparation that goes in to good farming. So, why do we as Christians think we can just witness to people and things are going to happen when we haven't prepared? We haven't interceded. Now, we can't pray for someone and them get saved. That's a personal decision. That's a, that's a decision they have to make. But I can pray for someone that God would prepare their heart, that he would prepare my heart, that he would prepare the right timing, the right words, and, and, and have that situation so that the, the, the seed will fall in fertile soil. And that's what we need to do. And my question for you tonight is, who are you interceding for? The second thing I'd like for you to look at back in Luke chapter 1 is found in verse 77. It says to give knowledge of salvation unto his people. Give knowledge of salvation. That's the proclamation. That should be obvious. It's witnessing. It's testifying to others. Now we know the, the, the verses of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Mark 16, 15. Acts 1, 8. And we can throw some others in there as well. And they all speak of proclaiming the gospel. But do you know you won't find in the word of God a verse that says, Go you into all the world and invite somebody to church. Now, there's nothing wrong with inviting people to church, but the average lost person will not come to church unless there's an ice cream fellowship afterwards. They might then. <laughs> but the average lost person will not come to church. But if you witness to somebody and they get saved, then the Holy Spirit lives in them and the Holy Spirit is going to put in their heart the need and the desire to be in church. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that how shall they call on him in whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher? That's not talking about a pastor. That's talking about someone to proclaim the truth to them. My father-in-law, Brother Milton Martin, many of you knew him. He used to say the call to stay must be as strong as the call to go. Uh, many of us are parents... And many of us are already grandparents. But I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase or maybe you've used the phrase or maybe the phrase has been used on you. What part of no don't you understand? You know what the, our Heavenly Father, I think, is saying to many of His children? What part of go don't you understand? You see, we've already received the command to go. And we are to go. A lot of people ask me, especially young people, I've preached many youth camps over the years, and they ask me, Brother David, how do you know what the will of God for your life is? And I tell them, it, it, the way I've always explained it, it's real simple. God can't steer a parked car. Have you ever seen a little kid standing on a seat and with the steering wheel doing this? He's not going anywhere. But you let them get 15 or 16 and be careful. <laughs> They're going somewhere. And God can't steer a parked car in your life. You don't know what the will of God... There's so many Christians that are standing and saying, I don't know what God's will... Get moving for the Lord. If you're going in the wrong direction, He can steer you then to where He wants you. But if you're still, He can't. You need to be moving 
for the Lord. But let me just give you an example before we get to the next point. There is a need for preparation. There's a need for proclaiming or the proclamation. But you can come out here tomorrow morning and stand on the parking lot and proclaim the gospel, the most clear presentation of the gospel that has ever been given. And probably not too many people are going to hear you. If you're standing right out here, I don't know how many people are here in the morning, but probably not too many. That leads us to the next point. Look at our text in Luke chapter 1, verse 79. It says, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. It says, to give light to them. That's the presentation. We have to take it to where they are. Like I said a while ago, most lost people won't come to church. We have to take it to them. To those that sit in, the, in darkness and in the shadow of death. Jesus said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And, and, but in Matthew 5 he says, ye are the light of the world. How, how can that be? Colossians 1.27 tells us that there's a, a, a mystery or a, a, a marvelous thing that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. David Lott, as a person, has nothing to offer anyone. But David Lott, as a Christian, has everything to offer everyone. But we have to take it to where they are. Turn with me to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. Now, I'm going to share with you an easy way to share the gospel. It's simple. Share your testimony. Now, I'll tell you why. Because if you start talking to somebody about coming to Mount Zion Baptist Church, or, oh, you're a Baptist, and you're going to get in an argument. If you start talking about doctrine, you can get in arguments even among Baptists. <laughs> but if you start sharing your testimony, what God has done in your life, they may not want to listen, they may not want to hear it, but they're not going to argue with it. It's what happened in your life. And your testimony is simply this. It's what your life was like before you got saved, how you got saved, and what your life is like after you got saved. And there should be a difference. <laughs> the Bible says if, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So there should be a difference. And I've told people this for years. If you knew enough to truly be saved, if you understood enough of the gospel to get saved, you understand enough to share it with somebody. You may not know all the verses of Scripture that some people use. You may not have verses memorized. That's okay. The message, that, that can be learned later. But right now, if you are a born-again Christian and you understood what the Bible says about being saved, you understand enough to tell somebody else. We have to tell them. There's a, I think one of the problems is most people are like, I fell. I'm going to tell you a story about a man named Cesar Soto. In Guatemala, he was saved under another missionary's ministry, but he's a friend of mine. Before he got saved, he was a member of one of the most notorious gangs in Guatemala City. He has gang tattoos from here to we're not sure where. 
and probably he killed somebody before he got saved, being in the gang. Somebody witnessed to him. He got saved. He got into a good Baptist church. He eventually became a deacon in that church. Then he felt the call to preach, and he went to the Bible Institute. He was one of my students for several years. He graduated from the Bible Institute. He started pastoring a church in Retaluleo, Guatemala, and now not only does he pastor that church, but he travels internationally in Latin America to preach conferences. Say, wow, what a testimony. You want to know my testimony? I was born at 9.46 p.m. on a Wednesday night, and Sunday morning I was in church, and I've been in church ever since. I might have been about on the verge of dying every once in a while, and, and I didn't go to church, but most of the time I was in church. At the age of seven, I made a profession of faith. I was a good kid. I was, I was squeaky clean. I didn't smoke, drink, cuss, or chew, or run around with girls that do. I was a good kid. I was the preacher's kid. I was the church pianist. I sat on the front row of the church. I was a leader in the youth group. But when I was 17 years old, God started dealing with my heart. And I realized I really wasn't saved. And shortly after I turned 18, I was sitting on the front row. It was a Wednesday night. My dad was preaching. I have no clue what he was preaching on. I wasn't paying attention to him. You ever seen the cartoon with that little devil and the little angel? Well, I didn't have a little devil and a little angel, but I had a conversation going on in my mind between what I felt Satan was telling me and what I felt God was telling me. Satan was telling me just what I told you. You're a good kid. You're better than everybody else. You're the preacher's kid. What are people going to think? But that night, I felt in my heart that God was saying, David, if you don't trust me tonight, I'm not going to give you another chance. I'd already been in church for 18 years. I knew Bible. I knew that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has to draw us. And I, in my heart, I thought, if I reject Christ tonight, I can pray a million prayers and die and go to hell. If that's what God is really telling me. And so that night I came forward and I trusted Christ as my Savior. Now, if you compare my testimony to Cesar's, you go, wow, Cesar's got this great testimony. You know what? There's probably more people in my situation than there are in Cesar's. And Satan has this trick. He makes you think you don't have a good testimony. You don't have a testimony that people listen to. He wants, God wants to use you. He wants to use your testimony. Acts chapter 26, you know what the Apostle Paul is doing? The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, who not only came to know Christ, but became a missionary who traveled throughout Asia Minor and, and Europe and established churches and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He is at the end, toward the end of his ministry. He's under arrest. He's standing before King Agrippa. And you know what he's telling him? His story. He's telling him his testimony. Everywhere he went, that's what Paul did. Look at verse 18. We're going to reduce it down to one verse right here. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. He's telling King Agrippa what Christ had told him to do. He says, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. Three things here. First, their eyes have to be opened. 
The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4, that if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Their eyes are blinded. They need their eyes open to the truth. Once their eyes are open to the truth, they can still reject it. And that's why they need to take the second point, which is, and turn them from darkness to light. That's salvation. But so many people stop there in their Christian lives. I know people today, I hope you're not one of them, but I know people today who, the, the next phrase is, and from the power of Satan unto God. I know Christians today who are more under the power of Satan than under God because of internet, because of television, because of their music they listen to, because of the friends they have, the places they go. They are more influenced by the world and Satan's uh, uh, behind all of that than they are by God because they're not in this book. They don't have a close... I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm saying they don't have a close relationship with God and therefore they think they can't have victory over sin. That's a lie of Satan. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Turn with me back to Luke chapter 1. There needs to be a present, uh, uh, preparation, there needs to be a proclamation, but there needs to be a presentation and taking it to where they are, whether it's at school or whether it's on the job or whether it's with your neighbor or your family member, you need to take the gospel to them. And then it says in the same verse, verse 79, the latter part says, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That speaks to me of spiritual growth, of learning to walk with the Lord. We can call it discipleship. We can call it a new converts class. We can call it my buddies, my spiritual buddy, whatever you want to call it. But it's when we help others learn to walk with the Lord for their own self. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4. We're almost finished. Philippians chapter 4. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. You see, there, people are looking for peace. And when a person comes to Christ, Romans 5.1 says that we are at peace with God. We're no longer enemies of God. We are now at peace with God. But there are so many lost people looking for peace. But I have heard a lot of Christians say, I just want peace in my life. Why don't we have peace in our life? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Be careful for nothing. What does that mean? It doesn't mean be careless for everything. It, it, when the King James translators wrote that, the people understood what it meant. But if we're not careful, we miss the meaning of it. It means don't be stressed out for anything. Don't be anxious. 
Don't worry about things. And there are so many Christians, I know Christians that worry all the time, and when they run out of something to worry about, they borrow from other people. But the Bible says we're not to worry. We're not. It says be careful for nothing. We're to take it to God in prayer. And you, but you know what we do? This represents, this, this does not represent Africa right now. This represents our worries. This represents our concerns. It may be financial problems. It may be health problems. It may be problems in our marriage or with our kids, our grandkids, our parents. Problems on the job. It, it, it could be a big decision we need to make. This represents our cares. And the Bible says we're to take it to the Lord. But you know what we do? We bring it before the Lord and we put it before the Lord. And we say, Lord, I just want to give this to you. Lord, I just don't know what to do. Lord, I, I, I just need your help. I need your direction. In Jesus' name, amen. And we pick it up and take it with us. I've heard preachers say, leave your burdens and your cares at the door and come in and worship the Lord. No, because you'll pick them up on the way out. Bring them in and give them to the Lord. That's what Philippians says. And you know what happens if you do that? Look at verse 7. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I know a lot of Christians. I know a lot of Christians. And I don't know a lot of you. But you might fall in this category. I know a lot of Christians who depend on their peace because they take pills. Anti-anxiety pills. You know what? I've got the solution. It's right there. You take it to the Lord and leave it there. One of the songs we sang tonight had a phrase that talked about that. Right now I'm blank on which song it was, but, but it's one of the songs we sang tonight. It talked about leaving it there. There's an old song that says, leave it there, leave it there. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. That's what we're supposed to do. And when we learn to do that, We can't have peace. And you know what the difference is? You know why we pick these up and take them with us? This is going to sound bad. But it's the truth. We don't trust the Lord. Somebody else is going through these problems and we say, just trust the Lord. Just give it to him. He'll take care of it. But it happens to us and somebody says, just trust the Lord. He'll take care of it. We're going, what are you talking about? You don't know my circumstances. We don't trust him. Turn with me back to Luke and we're going to finish with this. Zacharias is prophesying these things about his son that's recently been born. Before baby John becomes John the Baptist and the forerunner for Christ, certain things had to happen. And we find that in verse 80. It says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day was shown into Israel. The first thing is he grew. He had to grow up to be an adult. 
He had to grow up physically, but he grew up spiritually as well. Now, don't get me wrong. When, when, when I'm talking about us being forerunners, I'm not talking about in the same way as John. John was a unique person. He, he ate funny things. He dressed funny. He had a Nazarite vow. He had long hair. He, he was just a strange creature. But we are to be forerunners for Christ in other people's lives. And that takes preparation, proclamation, presentation, and the peace of God in our own lives. He had to grow up. The second thing the Bible says, he waxed strong in spirit. What does that mean? He learned to trust God. He learned what it meant to trust God. Well, well how do you do that, Brother David? The Bible tells us right here, the same verse. And was in desert, in the deserts until the day of his showing unto Israel. He spent time alone with God. You spend time alone with God in this book, and you know what happens? You learn to trust God. You see that Abraham and Moses and David and Daniel and Peter and Paul, all of these people learn to trust the Lord in a variety of circumstances. And then you begin to see that you can trust God in this little area and this, and you're going, I can trust him in big areas too. And you can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Do you have that peace? Maybe there's someone here who's never trusted Christ as their Savior and you don't have peace with God, much less the peace of God. But there's probably more than one person here tonight that has peace with God. You're saved. You're born again. But if you're real honest, you don't have the peace of God in your life like he wants you to have it. Let's bow our heads for prayer.